Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. Fighting a wildfire in Texas. Building a network to connect 40 million people to the internet. Cutting pollution with chainsaws. Hear Chubb customers tell their stories at Chubb.com slash podcast. And stay tuned after the show to hear how a sinkhole swallowed eight priceless sports cars. The Dismal Science Remains Dismal, Say Scientists, by Adam Rogers. When Ristos Dukaliagos was a young economist in the mid-1990s, he got interested in all the ways economics was wrong about itself. Bias, underpowered research, statistical shenanigans. Nobody wanted to hear it. I'd go to seminars, and people would say, you'll never get this published. Ducaliagos, now at Deakin University in Australia, says, they'd say, this is bordering on libel. Now, though, the norms have changed, Ducaliagos says. People are interested in this, and interested in the science. He should know, he's one of the reasons why. In the October issue of the prestigious Economic Journal, A paper he co-authored is the centerpiece among a half-dozen papers on the topic of economics' own private replication crisis, a variation of the one hitting disciplines from psychology to chemistry to neuroscience. The paper inhales more than 6,700 individual pieces of research, all meta-analyses that themselves encompass 64,076 estimates of economic outcomes. That's right, it's a meta-meta-analysis. And in this case, Ducaliagos never meta-analyzed something he didn't dislike. Of the fields covered in this corpus, half were statistically underpowered. The studies couldn't show the effect they said they did. And most of the ones that were powerful enough overestimated the size of the effect they purported to show. Economics has a profound effect on policy-making and understanding human behavior, For a science, this is, frankly, dismal. One of the authors of the paper is John Ioannidis, head of the Meta Research Innovation Center at Stanford. As the author of a 2005 paper with the shocking title, Why Most Published Research Findings Are False, Ioannidis is arguably the replication crisis's chief inquisitor. Sure, economics has had its outspoken critics, but now the sheriff has come to town. 
For a field coming somewhat late to the replication crisis party, it's ironic that economics identified its own credibility issues early. In 1983, Edward Lemer, an economist at UCLA, published a lecture he called "Let's take the con out of econometrics." Lemer took his colleagues to task for the then new practice of collecting data through observation and then fitting it to a model. In practice, Lemer said. Econometricians fit their data against thousands of statistical models, found the one that worked the best, and then pretended that they were using that model all along. It's a recipe for letting bias creep in. At about the same time as Lemer wrote his paper, Colin Kemmerer, today an economist at Caltech, was getting pushback for his interest in reproducibility. One of my first papers in the 1980s has all of the data and the instructions printed in the journal article. Nowadays, it would all be online. Kemmerer says, "I was able to kind of bully the editor and say, 'This is how science works: observe, hypothesize, experiment, collect data, repeat.' Over time, things improved. By 2010, the field was undergoing a credibility revolution," says Esther Duflo, an economist at MIT and editor of the American Economic Review. A few top journals began to sniff out shenanigans like. P hacking, massaging data for favorable outcomes. They asked for complete data sets to be posted online and for pre-registered research plans, so investigators can't change their hypotheses after the fact. To publish in these journals, economists now have to submit the actual code they use to carry out their analysis, and unlike the old days, it has to work on someone else's computer. Yes, open data. Available code and pre-registration don't always guarantee reproducibility. If I pick up Christy Teagan's cookbook, it might not taste the same as it does at her house, says Kemmerer, even though she's only ten miles away and was shopping at the same store. In 2015, economists at the Federal Reserve and Department of the Treasury tried to replicate 67 papers using data and code from the original authors. They were able to do it without calling the authors for help for just. Twenty-two. It was a little grim. One thing that did help economics: an increasing reliance on experimental data over empirical or observational research. Randomized controlled trials in the lab and in the field are getting more common. In another big deal paper, this one for the prestigious journal Science, Kammerer's team attempted to replicate eighteen articles from two top journals, and the results were. Well, let's say the glass was half full. All were statistically powerful enough to see the effect they purported to, and eleven out of eighteen had a significant effect in the same direction as the original study. Maybe more importantly, though, everyone was on board with the concept. When somebody says, "I want to replicate your study," usually it's like when the IRS calls and says they want to check your math. Kammerer says. But when we sent out letters to eighteen groups saying we're going to replicate your study, every one of them was quite cooperative. The problem is that only a few journals and subfields in economics have been willing to take up the new standards of controlled trials, openness, and reproducibility that other social sciences, behavioral psychology, most notably, have largely embraced. Adoption of improved practices is idiosyncratic and governed by local norms, Kammerer says. 
That leaves an awful lot of economics, and after failures like the inability to predict the housing crisis and ongoing political disagreements about things as fundamental as taxes and income levels, economics seems a little hard to trust. That's where big meta studies of meta analyses come in, like the one Dukaliagos did with Ionidas and Tom Stanley. This is the kind of work Ionidas now specializes in. Evaluating not just individual studies, like Hammerer's reproducibility paper, but entire bodies of literature, capturing all the data and stats embedded in many meta-analyses at once. In this case, that wasn't randomized controlled trials. The vast majority of available data are observational data, and this is pretty much what was included in these meta-analyses. Ionidas says, "The sort of good news." According to his team, economics isn't that bad. Sure, the statistical power was way too low, and the bias was toward exaggerating effect sizes. We have seen that pattern in many other fields. Ioannidis says economics and neuroscience have the same problem. So, okay, not great news for fans of brain scan studies, but that also shows that Ioannidis isn't just trying to nuke economics out of peak. Not being an economist, hopefully, I avoided the bias of having a strong opinion about any of these topics. He says, "I just couldn't care less about what was proposed to have been found." That paper should at least red flag then the fact that while at the most elite level and in some fields, economics is working out its issues, elsewhere the familiar problems remain. The grungy spade work of reproducing other research still isn't rewarded by journal editors and tenure committees. Scientists still want to land papers in top-shelf journals, and journals still want to publish good results, which is to say, statistically significant positive findings. People are likely to publish their most significant or most positive results. Ioannidis says it's called data dredging. Science is supposed to have mechanisms for self-correction, and work to bridge the credibility gap across different fields shows self-correction in action. Still, though, you'd like to see economics farther along, maybe, instead of getting its lapels grabbed by Ioannidis. We're not very good at understanding how the brain works. We're not that great on models of human nature and connections to anthropology, Kemmerer says, but economists are really good at understanding incentives. And how we create systems to produce an outcome, and yet credibility-increasing incentives don't yet exist within economics itself. Journals and funding agencies have been slow, cautious even. Universities and institutions aren't paying people or tenuring them for the work. Fields like statistics or psychology are sending strong signals that they care about people working on research transparency, says Fernando José de la Guardia. A fellow at the Berkeley Initiative for Transparency in the Social Sciences, you don't see any of these folks placing in top economics departments. When he sent me a relevant paper by a colleague, Jose de la Guardia pointed out that it wasn't his colleague's job market paper, the piece of research a PhD student would use to find a job. One of the problems in raising these sorts of issues is finding the journal space for it. Ducaliagos says. You're going to have bright scholars who would like to address these issues, but they're worried about being seen as Cassandras. But maybe, unlike Cassandra, if enough researchers and standard setters see value in critiquing their own fields, 
they'll be better equipped to survive the future. This podcast was made possible by Chubb. Hear how a sinkhole opened up under the National Corvette Museum right now. Betty called me at six in the morning. She thought it was a fire. It was worse. A sinkhole opened up under our museum. Eight priceless Corvettes had plunged into it. Chubb was there within hours. They helped make sure it was safe. We had everyone we needed to get our museum back up and running. And we opened the next day. Hear more stories at chubb.com slash podcast. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.